0: This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial-grade AI.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and I have two guests today, Dr. Andreas Liebel and Dr. Till Klein from Applied AI. Both of you will explain what that. Is in a moment. Hello, Andreas. Hello. And hello, Till. Hello. Please introduce yourself briefly to the listeners. And what does Applied AI do for sure?
2: Yes, my name is Andreas. I'm the managing director of Applied AI. And my background is mechanical engineering, then consulting. Then I went into the innovation and startup ecosystem, was one of the managing directors of Unternehmertum. And in Unternehmertum, which is that uh, large entrepreneurship and innovation center in Munich, I started Applied AI and we uh, created actually two um, separate legal entities, the Applied AI Initiative, GmbH and the Applied AI Institute for Europe, GmbH, both mid last year. And I moved from the uh, Unternehmertum as now the, the managing director of these two organizations. And maybe quickly, what is Applied AI? So we started in 2017 with the goal of kind of keeping Europe competitive in the AI age when it comes to the application of AI in the industry. And what we said is that there's so much money invested in the US and so much money invested in China. If we as European industry want to compete and stay competitive, we actually have to be much more efficient. We need to work together. We need to learn from each other and we need to tackle all these challenges that we have in AI together. And that's how we build a kind of a partnership ecosystem where we work with a lot of companies on AI journeys together and exchanging best practices. And now when it comes to the AI Act, in answering questions about what do we need to do now as the industry when there is an AI.
1: Yeah, that's our topic today. <laughs>
2: yes, exactly. So these are types of things that we are doing. And then on top of that, we also support companies individually, And in the non-for-profit organization, we kind of provide the things for free. We try to educate as many as possible on very high quality content when it comes to the
0: application of artificial intelligence.
1: Perfect. And Till
0: Yes. Also from my side, good to be here. My name is Til Klein. My background is in industrial engineering. I spent several years in the industry in regulatory related roles. I worked with medical devices, uh, with drones, um, as an auditor for quality management systems. And at Applied AI, I'm in the role of head of trustworthy AI, where I'm really involved in all the regulations and governance topics coming up in the context of AI. Yeah. So I'm working with Andreas and with the rest of the Applied AI team to help companies navigate through those upcoming regulations on AI. So we will see later they're still being negotiated, but we already see that they will shape the ecosystem quite a bit. So it's a very important topic these days.
1: S- Andreas mentioned we want to talk about the AI Act today, but at the beginning I want to start with this discussion, chat GPT, GPT briefly, because today Europol published a warning how the large language models are used for crimes. Andreas Till, is this the hour of regulation, this chat GPT stuff? Is everybody awake now? So that's a
2: good question. I think what you see is a tool that has been out for quite some time. And the good thing about ChatGPT is that now everyone wakes up and talks about these things. But ultimately, we talked about four years, five years now about the power of AI, then a bit later about generative adversarial networks and the deep fakes, about the options of using these tools and misusing these tools. So that discussion is not a new one that started now with ChatGPT, but in the general public, as well as in a variety of institutions, now the urgency pops up and we see that we now have a different quality of these types of discussions, which I think is a very much needed one. And we have to tackle these topics. Now, when it comes to to your question, is it something where we now need to regulate? I would always separate two things. So first, there is a tool, and that tool, like ChatGPT, like Stable Diffusion, like others, that are let's call it generative AI, or in the context of the European AI Act, it's called uh, general purpose AI. So if we take these tools, it allows us to create content massively on a very very high quality just now there was this discussion about a picture of the pope with a jacket and it's photorealistic so what first of all happens is is an explosion of content everyone now can create really realistically looking pictures text we will see music in the future. There will be videos. There are the, the ones on, on YouTube where you have kind of endless episodes of series. You create games even with these tools. So we will see a explosion of content. Now that content can be used For positive things and negative things. If there is a regulation, the regulation is for those that I would say are kind of on the positive side, because they want to use the tools, they want to use it in a good way. And maybe we get from a Wild West type of setting to something that follows certain rules. And from my perspective, Rules are very much needed for these types of tools because they are simply too powerful to just do whatever you want to do with that. So the first question is, are the rules that we now set up in the AI act the right ones? That's a separate question, but I, I really believe that we need these rules. The second is, however, that those were creating the deepfakes or, or use it for fraud or any kind of harmful activities. They anyway don't care about regulation and the rules. So for that type of discussion, we shouldn't think about regulation as the problem solver because it actually doesn't affect them. And and we have to live in a world where we use these very, very powerful generative AI tools. And many people will do harmful things with them. And we need to think about how we deal with that in the future.
1: That's a good point. Let's go a little bit more deeper in this AI Act. There is a rumor. Is it true that the Americans are just waiting for the European variant of the AI Act and then will copy this? Because I always listen to this rumor.
2: (laughs) I don't think so. Um (laughs) But
1: you know that there is this rumor, right?
2: Yeah, well, I think we should not... Overestimate the power of Europe. What's happening in the US? There's that US bill from the White House on AI. And if you read that, it's uh, somehow sounds similar. But what it is, is that it always kind of writes that people should not do or should do or shall do. So it's, it's a voluntary, non-binding recommendation. What we see now happening in the U.S. is that in several federal states, in California and others, authorities start to implement kind of really binding rules on how to use it in the public sector, in kind of credit, for example. So there are now several federal states starting to develop own regulations, but on the U.S., Overall level, you have the NIST, the standardization organization, the, and the White House, the NIST kind of adds a few benchmarks or tools or recommendations, and the White House has this non-binding list of kind of governance. So that is what we're currently seeing in the U.S. And then my understanding is that the U.S. will follow a vertical approach. While the EU AI Act is a horizontal regulation,
1: can you explain us what is the difference?
2: The vertical regulation is an industry-specific regulation. So you regulate the medical devices, you regulate the finance industry, the insurance, automotive, and in all kind of industry by industry. And you follow the idea that they know their industries best, and they simply add AI now to that particular regulation that you have in the particular fields of India Now, the EU does it differently. They do a horizontal regulation. They say AI is so specific that we don't want to have any black spots in a particular regulation. So we do a horizontal regulation for AI as a technology, independent of where it's applied. And then we see that it complements best the um, existing vertical regulations that you have then again in medtech, in finance and in, in other parts of the industries. But it's a complementary AI, horizontal and then vertical for the different industries.
1: We come back in a few minutes because I want to hear your opinion on these two approaches. But first, let's start with the status. What does the industrial sector need to know right now with the AI Act? What is the status?
0: So I can I can start This is still. I think what is important to know is firstly that it's coming. When? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a huge point of debate, to be honest. Um, but rumors has it that it could be available by the end of this year, so that there's a final text maybe in end of December, November, and maybe it will come into force then in, let's say, the first quarter of next year. But then there's a transition period of something around 24 to 36 months, and only then it will be enforced. So there's this transition period which allows everyone, be it the companies, be it the uh, authorities, to basically set up themselves to become competent and knowledgeable about it, so that everyone is ready then after this transition period.
1: Okay, and what is the status now? So you said at the end of the year, what is the discussion right now?
0: So in terms of the status, the situation is that the EU Commission has published their first proposal, basically. This was in 2021. And now the council and the parliament, they have to find their positions. And the council already did that. They published their position in uh, late last year, November timeframe. And uh, the parliament is still discussing. And there's a couple of things they, they need to solve internally. For instance, it's about this huge discussion about a general purpose AI and how it should be regulated. There's discussions about the classification rules of what is actually a uh, high-risk AI application and what is not. This then relates to things like the value chain, when you think about the situation where one system is maybe purchased like from a different provider, and maybe the data is coming again from elsewhere, and the data annotation was again made from someone else. You have a chain of actors, and who carries what responsibility? These are some of the discussions that are currently being discussed in the parliament. And we hope that they find a position maybe in, in April, May timeframe so that then the procedure and the negotiations can proceed after that.
1: How important is the parliament decision? How powerful is the parliament when you compare two other players?
0: Well, the parliament is a, is a co-legislator. So they definitely carry a, a certain weight. The parliament, they are composed of the political parties, basically. These are all members of the parliament being voted from different parts of Europe and they all belong to a certain party. So they really represent the polit- political spectrum. In contrast, the, the European Commission really is the sort of executive branch of the EU, driving the policymaking, and the council is representing the member states. So here we have delegates from the different ministries of the member states.
1: But who decides at the end?
0: In the end, so what we will have is when the parliament has found their position, then the process starts, which is known as the so-called trilogue, which is when the parliament, the council, and the commission, they come together in like a smaller round, really like the negotiation leaders. And then they kind of make that trade offs so to speak, in the sense of the democracy, I guess.
1: Sounds like a bazaar. <laughs>
0: Well, I've never joined any of those sessions, but maybe it's kind of like that to some extent, right? Finding a middle ground between the different positions.
1: Okay, let's switch to the industrial sector. What does the industrial sector need to know right now?
2: So that is, uh, I would say a couple of things. First, the EU AI Act is a risk-based approach. Uh, That means depending on the risk an AI system poses, it has a specific category or classification, and with that comes a couple of requirements that you have to fulfill. So it's really important to understand in which risk category your AI use case falls into. And that is something everyone has to do. So every industry player, every startup, as every SME, every large organization needs to develop a process. That systematically analyzes each use case where there is AI in to understand, is it a high-risk case or lower-risk case, or is it actually forbidden? So, And that has already a couple of complications. You need to know if it's an AI system at all in the sense of the AI Act. Is it then something that is falling into the AI Act or not? Is it then a forbidden use case? And if all these things are a yes and it's not forbidden, then you can start with that risk classification. But that is the first step. And once you understand, well, it actually is a high risk case, then you have to start a procedure that is kind of outlined in the AI Act. You have to add a risk management system for identifying and managing. Potential risks that come with the AI solution. And once you did that, then you really need to kind of fulfill requirements in a couple of articles from data governance to technical documentation, accuracy, transparency, human oversight, and record keeping. So it's a list of requirements that you have to fulfill. One thing is there are no standards yet. We can maybe talk about this later. So no one knows how exactly you then need to act to fulfill those, but you in the end have to fulfill those. And then you have to kind of hand that in either through a self-certification or through an external certification to a national competent authority that approves the conformity to the regulation. And uh, then you can actually bring it to the market
1: you mentioned this missing standards. What does it mean? So nobody can be prepared when the Act is live?
0: So this uh, is speaking about the standards. So the idea basically is that for each of those requirements that uh, need to be fulfilled by those high-risk systems, and, and we can maybe call them as essential requirements, they are called like that in other European legislations. The idea is that there's so-called harmonized standards. And so let's say there's one requirement that talks about the robustness of AI systems. And in the AI Act, there's maybe quote-unquote like half a page of text telling you, okay, this is, these are the main things that you need to do and fulfill to demonstrate compliance to this requirement for robustness. Then in the future, the idea is that there's harmonized standards like technical standards that also talk about robustness. And if you fulfill those standards then that comes with this so-called presumption of conformity, saying if you meet the requirements of the standard, you can claim that you're also meeting the requirements of the AI Act. And one of the challenges at the moment is that those standards simply don't exist. We see a few standards being published already. We see many other standards in the pipeline or kind of on the horizon to be developed. But we also see that developing standards is a very time-intensive process. And so that's a bit of a you know, moment where we might have a conflict here in the timelines because maybe the AI Act is enforced without the standards being available, which creates a, a difficult situation for everyone who needs to demonstrate compliance to the AI Act. And maybe to
2: add to that. So first of all, if you look at the AI Act again from a bit higher level, I think what they did very well is that it's a regulation. So it's not something like GDPR that's then broken down into different interpretations in the different countries, or as you can see in Germany, then in the different federal states, which is is absolutely horrible. So there will be one AI act. And then the EU said, I acknowledge that AI is developing really, really fast. So I can't write everything in that text of the regulation, but I make it just, I I describe the requirements and everything else I leave to standardization organizations. And if you follow these standards then it's that presumption of conformity. Then you actually are conformed to the regulation. That means you have a much more flexible system, which is the standards that you follow, and and the tools that you then have to to fulfill those standards. And if you use those, it's all fine. So the the idea behind it, I think, is a really really good one. Now the challenge is that we have the AI Act now in development. Then we need to develop these standards, and then we need to develop the tools to comply with the standards. So all these things need. To to happen.
1: Time horizon seven years.
2: Yes, exactly. And in parallel, the organizations actually need to develop the AI use cases because if they bring it to the market in a few years and the AI act is there, they have to be compliant. So it's a kind of from a time perspective, it's, it's quite a challenge. But the idea behind it, I think, is actually a good one how they designed.
1: You mentioned these standards, and I have one more question. Can you please? explain how the AI Act will be implemented? Because after all, we have a machine directive, for example. Or Are the results of the AI Act only in the standards? And when you fulfill the standards, you are safe, you mentioned? Or is there also another layer between standards, AI Act, machine directive? Can you explain it a little bit? Is it a law? Is it a federal law? Is it a national law? How important is it?
0: Yeah, so the AI Act... First of all is important and it applies in addition to all other applicable law basically some have used the term legislative lasagna right when you when you are a company and say you you're building machines and then you know you have a couple of things very generic regulations say like GDPR and product liability you have to do this anyways right then you have your sector-specific regulation. So maybe then you have go into the machinery directive. Maybe you have, I don't know, low voltage, maybe hazardous substances. So like more product-related stuff. Then what comes on top is more like the digital economy kind of things, the Data Act, uh, Data Governance Act. I mean, these are yet to be developed, but they are kind of on the horizon. And then comes the AI layer on top, where we now have the AI Act coming in really soon. And next in line is the AI liability directive, which will further specify this whole question of who's um, kind of liable for what if things go wrong, right? So, and if you're a company, you kind of have to take a slice of all those layers and see what's applicable to you. And in the spirit of the AI Act, because it's a regulation, it will apply directly in contrast to a directive, which is is a piece of law that needs to be adopted in national law. That's the main difference here.
1: But you are not very happy with the AI Act. In, in some parts, you are happy, you mentioned, but there are parts you are not happy with. What is your approach? What is your idea for the AI Act?
2: Yeah, thank you for that question, Andreas. Yeah. <laughs> I think, first of all, there are several very opposite opinions. There are those that say, well, we anyway need the AI Act. And we need the regulation of, of a dangerous technology that can be used in a very harmful way. And, and we really need that regulation to protect our citizens. And then on the other hand, there are the the parties that say, well, we have innovation and there is a powerful new tool and let's not start regulating that before we don't even know what we do with that. It's, It's like a hammer. And and you don't regulate the hammer. So let's not regulate AI because that will kind of really stop innovation. And And I think at some point you have to have that compromise. And yes, AI is a really, really powerful tool, but it's not like a hammer. It's not something you have yourself and you do in your kind of backyard. But it's something, if you apply it, it can be scaled globally within minutes. And and you see it how fast ChatGPT had 100 million users on their platform. So it's not a hammer. It's a digital tool that is very, very powerful and will immediately affect whole populations and elections and, and things. And it's just too powerful to let everyone do whatever they like in the way of how they like to do it. So the AI Act comes in and says, well, we actually just give you a set of requirements to develop it in a high quality and only also for those cases that are actually high risk. So the idea behind it, I think, is a really necessary one. And you have a variety of countries around the world that really think about the same way. And some do it non-binding, some do it binding. So you can argue if if the binding regulation in Europe is, is actually the right approach but across the world, you really now have different organizations that think about regulating AI. That, I think, is, is really good.
1: What is your problem?
2: <laughs> what gives me headaches now is that it's a very, very complex piece because we have the, the horizontal approach and you just cannot understand all implication it has to all existing lasagna layers when we (laughs) stick with that um, analogy. So that is one. The second is that there is an AI definition and with that definition as it's now the status it actually is a quite high number for high risk cases. The EU commission kind of projected five to fifteen percent if it is kind of the way it's now, we rather think it's between the 20 to 50%. And out of these 20 to 50, there's a huge number of not very well categorizable AI cases or so unclear cases. And that uncertainty is actually the second major pain point. So a number of high-risk cases, then uncertainty of classification, and then comes that topic that we just talked about that timeline and the issue that there are no standards, no tools and companies have to start doing that now. So maybe in five or 10 years, we look at that and say, well, it's all, we know how to do it. And it's a good way of building solid AI systems. If you look at it now, with all that uncertainty, what we actually fear is that the ones who want to drive innovation will leave Europe, go to the US, go to other countries and kind of work in simply in other countries outside of Europe on on the innovation approaches and we really kill our innovation ecosystem.
1: So what is your idea? To stop the process? To think about once again? To start first with the standards? What is your idea?
2: I think we are quite pragmatic in that sense. So we don't see it realistic to stop it. And if you just raise that concern of stopping it, I think what will happen is that they anyway will push it through as fast as possible and and then you have something that's not good. So let's assume that there's anyway no alternative to having that AI act. Then we need to think about and, and discuss how we do it in a good way, in a way that we can also use it. And one is to get these issues and challenges out of the AI Act that I just mentioned. And the second is that we really need to have a thorough what we call regulation accelerator or acceleration ecosystem that helps startups, SMEs, but also in in many cases, the larger companies to comply as quickly as possible and as cheap as possible. Because if we don't do that, Again, outside of Europe, it's then cheaper and faster to develop the systems.
1: But you also need to get in contact with the standardization councils and organizations, right?
2: Yes, that is done in Europe in a group that they have typically two organizations called SEN and SENELEC. In that group, there is a whatever, a project that's called JTC21 that is there for the standardization of AI and that consists of all the different standardization organizations. So they work together and that's JTC 21 and they develop these standards and they are kind of incentivized to do that as close with the industry as possible. But now then you have, again, the issue startups are not represented there because they don't have the time to spend in in discussions in standardization organizations also SMEs maybe not so you have a selected group of organizations that can afford sending people to these standardization meetings.
1: How realistic is it to push the member of parliaments from the European parliament on your side on your arguments and to solve these problems?
0: Until you're speaking, one way we try to make a contribution to this debate is by actually informing the process on the more, let's say, empirical side, right? So I I heard others criticizing the AI Act for being too abstract and too, let's say, theoretical. And uh, from Applied AI, we are working very close with everyone who will be affected the most, namely those who are developing AI, be it uh, in startups, medium-sized enterprises, or, or large organizations. These are the providers, and they would have to carry the biggest burden, so to speak, right? And we were working with them closely, and we talked to them, and we asked them, well, what what is bothering you? What is difficult here? And so we in, in contact with institutions. We are uh, publishing those, It's sometimes even narratives or, or anecdotes or use cases, simply to make it more tangible, to get away from this discussion, which is more oriented on big tech and, and maybe geopolitical um, topics, to say, hey, let's not forget the local AI ecosystem and here are some actual stories of real companies and this is how they react. And, and since, for instance, people in the parliament, I mean, they are representing the, the people in, in the European community. They listen to that. They have interest in, in those stories, right? And this is a way how we try to at least hold the mirror <laughs> there and say, hey, if the AI will come into force, how it's currently proposed. This is going to be a likely outcome. Are you sure that you want that? And and this is the way how we want to yeah really inform the policymaking process here.
1: That's a very good idea. But how re- realistic is that? That at the end, it will change something?
2: How we kind of experienced it is that there are many people in the parliament and the commission that really listen. Now the question is, do they listen and do they actually change something? I, I think what we see in the rounds, especially now in the discussions with a variety of, of parliamentarians, they actually listen and bring in proposals. Now it's it's again a policy making process. So you have the different parties from left to right and, and they bring in a variety of proposals some come more from the consumer side consumer protection side others come more from the industry side and and you find these these compromises then in in these discussions and that is kind of how you influence it but ultimately the decision is a political decision that comes into force and and we don't know but i think it's it's too important not to try it so so you actually have to do that
1: when you look in different other european countries what are their positions in France or maybe in Poland in Austria Denmark what is different to the German position or your position or what is the situation there
2: that really depends on the country so in, in many like I mean if you talk to the innovation ecosystem it's very similar but then you have and uh, for example what uh, the Commission is always saying then you have Netherlands and in Netherlands you have these actual case, where in the social welfare system an AI was used to detect fraud in kind of applying to that social support money and what happened is because the AI falsely identified families uh, getting that money without any justification they had to pay it back and they couldn't so they took away their children from them and brought them to uh, other families or in in Jaime so that is something that actually happened so now you have a country like Netherlands and there obviously you look at these potential risks so Depends a little
0: bit on the experiences of the countries. Yeah. Maybe to add briefly, like we we really see like a, a national narratives, if you will, right? So this is the case of the Netherlands. We see, for instance, Spain being extremely progressive in terms of adopting the AI Act. Spain has been the first country in the EU to actually announce a regulatory sandbox for AI. Now they're the first one to to actually put down significant funding to establish a national competent authority on AI to really build up a team that is, that is knowledgeable and so on. So as Andreas mentioned, like we see countries and really taking it quite differently coming from the very own. Agenda, but also shaped by the, I guess, history and incidents that happened in a particular place.
1: And what about France? I'm interested in France.
2: In France, there is a couple of industry associations that work on, on a variety of, of trustworthy AI topics. So they are on the industry side, they kind of prepare for the AI Act. From a government side, as far as I know, they rather push for an innovation friendly approach, like, rather similar to what we have here. but Even in Germany, you have the different ministries. So, the Ministry of of Justice, they have a totally different perspective than the Ministry of Economic Affairs or the Ministry of of um, social and or the ministry of research. So there's even within countries and different positions in, in in the ministries. But from kind of what we get as feedback from France is that they rather push also for that more innovation friendly approach. And I would say very thorough or thoughtful implementation of an AI.
1: So what are your next steps, your next tasks?
2: Our next task concretely is that we just publish a database for use cases and their risk categories based on the existing proposals. So obviously that will change, but maybe not so much on the risk classification side. So that is something that helps organizations.
1: Can we publish in our show notes? Is it, is it public?
2: Yes, it's public. It's, it's totally free. It's public. You can just go there. You can see what use cases we assess. We did that with lawyers together. Again, disclaimer, the AI is changing. Yes. So that might change, but it's, it's a helpful resource. Yeah. And, absolutely. Um, and we continue to work on these helpful resources so that everyone can apply uh, or comply to the AI Act as easy as possible and as either free, so from our side free as possible, but then still have your internal efforts. But that is kind of what we are pushing towards to, to publish these tools um, in that acceleration spirit. So if there is an AI Act, okay, then let's think about what we need to do to be able to comply with that. And that is, is what we are developing, what we are providing.
1: Until what is your next task? Yeah, my next task: um, convince some member of parliament.
0: <laughs> also, that I mean, the the study that Andreas mentioned uh, is really uh, hot off the press, so to speak. So I will definitely do my best to spread the word, um, to to share it uh, to, to with the folks in Brussels, Berlin, and, and other capitals, for sure. But it's really diving into those small, let's say, pieces of assistance. <laughs> we really want to provide support to every company, be it small or large, who needs or wants to be compliant with the AI Act. And our approach is to how to eat the elephant, right? We want to break it down into smaller chunks. We now work a lot on this idea of risk classification, right? So how can you easily find out which risk class is your uh, AI system um, and and where you don't need to have to read those 200-page legal document, right? It's those kind of things that we want to develop. And the classification is one example. And there will be more similar approaches from our side uh, to follow in the next couple of, of months and years we really want to provide assistance to those companies. And uh, we're always looking for it uh, for feedback. And we will have open sessions in, in, in the form of workshops and so on to also work with, with companies in the ecosystem. So these are the, the next things on my
1: list. So and if you want to check out our show notes on your podcast catcher, because you can find there the link to the paper the two guys mentioned. Andreas, till it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much and greetings to Munich.
0: Thank you and have a good day. Thank you a lot. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you.